You're listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract, the official podcast of the Journal of Addiction Medicine. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract is produced for your enjoyment and is focused on the latest journal-published research and science in the field of addiction medicine. Remember to add us to your favorites in iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at ASAMorg and Facebook. Now, let's go beyond the abstract. Welcome to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. I'm your host, Dr. Sean McNeil, Digital Content Editor for the Journal of Addiction Medicine. Today we are joined by Dr. Kelly Moore. She's a postdoctoral fellow at the Yale School of Medicine, Department of Psychiatry. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Moore. I want to begin by asking you to introduce yourself just a bit and having you to describe your background in the field of addiction. Yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to, to be here. Um, so my background is in clinical psychology, and I got my PhD at George Mason University in Virginia. And um, starting in my graduate training, I began working with uh, the, the justice-involved population. So I worked on a larger study that was looking at an intervention for jail inmates at that point and uh, became really interested in you know how we work with justice-involved populations and um, understanding how treatments kind of are, are implemented in those systems and whether or not they're effective in, in helping people adjust to the community after they're released from those systems. Um, so I started in that work pretty early on, and um, after the point when I'd completed my internship, I, I realized I wanted more specialized training in addiction um, because addiction is often one of the, the biggest issues uh, among people involved in the justice system. So I uh, started my postdoctoral fellowship here at Yale um, to get more specialized training around addiction and, and to really continue researching uh, the intersection of addiction and crime. Okay. And that leads us to this paper that you've written. Uh, how did you get uh, specifically involved with treating these patients and this population and measuring their outcomes? Yeah, so I've I've always been um, personally just interested in you know treatments for justice-involved populations, whether that's during incarceration or after release um, when people are in the community. So that's something I've always been um, just really interested in, and how to make those treatments effective. Because what you all what, what you often find in um, correctional systems is that uh, sometimes there's a lack of evidence-based treatments being available or being implemented, and and it's difficult. There are a lot of logistical challenges that make treatment harder within this uh, specific system. Um, so, so yeah. So I've I've always been interested in in those issues and what you know the role of clinical psychology in addressing some of that. And so with this particular um, study, you know, I started. I came onto the project when I started my postdoc, and um, was really excited to to be involved in a project that was looking at medication-assisted treatments. Um, within correctional facilities in particular because uh, there's there's just a lack of um, medication-assisted treatments being used for populations of people who have opioid addiction in the criminal justice system. And and it's, it's a big problem because what you often find is that, you know, people with um, opioid addiction get incarcerated and, and maybe they were, you know, receiving a medication-assisted treatment in the community. Maybe they weren't, um, but, they, but they often go through withdrawal upon incarceration and can't access any form of medication-assisted treatment, which then um, makes it less likely that they'll 
free, you know, engage in those treatments after release, and it also increases the chances that they'll have uh, negative outcomes like overdose and and uh, relapse when they when they get out. So, I was I was thrilled to to become you know part of this this study looking at um, continuing the use of previously received methadone um, throughout the duration of people's incarceration. And I read something interesting in the paper. You wrote. Uh, about how the Department of Corrections actually became a site where these medications could be distributed. Um, was this one of the big hurdles in your project? Um, yeah. So, you know, Connecticut is is one of the, the states that's really, um, their Department of Corrections is amazing. You know, they're really progressive in wanting to implement evidence-based treatments for um, their prisoners and their jail inmates. And so um, the Department of Corrections was was on board with, you know, efforts to treat people, uh, prisoners with opioid addiction. So they were, they were open to allowing medication-assisted treatments to be within their facilities. And, and there were some, you know, hurdles to, to jump over when it came to that because uh, methadone is, is regulated at different levels. And so um, they had to be licensed to be able to offer it in the facility and, and those sorts of things. But they were able, you know, they were willing to kind of go through those steps to, to make sure that, that this treatment could be offered and to evaluate whether it was effective. And, and so um, they, you know, they, in partnership with the um, Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services in Connecticut, really were um, excited to, to you know, leap into this project and, and try to offer these sorts of medications to the inmate population. Yeah, and I think that makes it a really unique study. Uh, was there any other part of the study design that you felt was novel or that you felt like was a, a big challenge? Um, yeah, you know, the there's been a fair amount of research, you know, looking at implementing medication-assisted treatments in correctional systems. Um, so that's, you know, there's been a lot of studies looking at whether we can, you know, induct people on these medications when they're incarcerated and see if that improves their outcomes post-release. Um, but this study in particular was innovative in that we were continuing people on previously received methadone, which had only been done in a couple of studies, um, you know, it's, it's harder, there are just more barriers to being able to continue uh, people's medication that they received in the community. So that was kind of the, the innovative piece of this study was looking at, you know, the effectiveness of the continuation of the, of the medication throughout incarceration. Um, and then, and I, I think also, you know, we looked at, um, recidivism outcomes, which not every study does, um, some of them do, but, but we looked at that in, in a couple of different ways to try to see, you know, try to really get at whether this um, maintaining people on methadone could Im- improve their, their ability to stay out of uh, future, you know, arrests and stay out of the justice system. And what were some of the findings that you felt would have the broadest implications? Yeah, so I think, you know, we, we looked at behavior, you know, we looked at the effectiveness of uh, continuing methadone on behavior both during incarceration and post-release. And so during incarceration, we found that the inmates who were maintained on methadone had um, fewer disciplinary infractions. Um, and a lot of studies actually don't measure behavior during incarceration. Um, so that's, that's really important because um, that suggests that people, you know, when we're able to provide them with the treatments they were receiving in the community, they might be easier to manage, you know, during incarceration, which has a lot of implications for, um, you know, the justice system in terms of staff and resources. Um, In addition to that, you know, the recidivism outcomes that we looked at, it was really 
I think, important that we found um, that people who were maintained on methadone with the same provider before, during, and after incarceration had better recidivism outcomes um, across the board. So that really, you know, was the first time I think any study has shown that, and, and we need to look, you know, we need to do follow-up studies and do more research on that, but it's it suggests that, you know, that continuity of care in terms of um, the provider might be really key in helping people, um, you know, helping people improve their behavior during incarceration and post-release. Mm-hmm. What, what uh, kind of impact do you expect your study to have in the justice field and, and the legal field? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, you know, with a study like this, I, I hope it encourages more studies to examine um, the continuation of medication-assisted treatments throughout incarceration, um, which, you know, it, it's tough because incarceration periods can range from a day or a couple weeks to, to years. And so it's, it's difficult to think about maintaining people on a medication and um, thinking about the duration of that uh, during incarceration. But I do hope that it encourages other studies to, to look at this so we can build the evidence base around it. Um, I also hope that, you know, the study just increases some of the um, – acceptability of, of medication-assisted treatments in the justice system, which there's still a lot of stigma around using these sorts of uh, medications for people with opioid addiction. So I hope that it tackles some of that as well and um, can, you know, help people in the justice system see that, you know, there are benefits to, to giving these medications during incarceration um, and, and, you know, it, it, it can really help this population. All right. And one final question that I had, um, you mentioned in your discussion that this methadone treatment may reduce the, as you put it, the aversive physiological withdrawal symptoms and then the accompanying distress that comes along with that, and that by reducing this, you might foster a more stable mental health during incarceration. Could you speak to this? Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. You know, the other research in this area um, has shown that withdrawal from methadone upon incarceration is is incredibly just aversive, um, painful, uh, very distressing. And so that's definitely one of the mechanisms we think could be at work here is that people aren't undergoing all of that physical and emotional um, stress and illness that they that they would if they were withdrawing from methadone, um, you know, when they get incarcerated. So I think that's probably a, a big factor. And we actually, um, as part of this study, we didn't include the qualitative results in this article, but we we did ask inmates who um, received the methadone, you know, what was your experience like, and how, you know, how did this affect you? And and a lot of them spoke to the fact that they weren't sick, and you know, they didn't have to worry about um, withdrawing, you know, they could focus on their legal issues or they didn't, you know, they, they, they kind of spoke to that as well. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of what could influence their behavior during incarceration for sure. Well, I do want to thank you so much, Dr. Moore, for joining us today on the podcast and explaining your study and how the results might have an impact in the future. Yeah, thank you. This ends today's podcast. Thank you for listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. All of today's show links can be found in the show notes. Remember, you can preview additional abstracts at journalofaddictionmedicine.com. This program was produced by the American Society of Addiction Medicine.